Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Good morning. I'm Pastor Kevin. I'm one of the elders here at Point Church, and we're so glad that you're here today on this first Sunday of Advent. Uh, I'm here to continue our series in the story. Uh, we're covering the creation, the fall, the redemption, and the restoration, which is the complete story of the Bible. I'm going to do a little review. Corey covered uh, the creation so well in the fall uh, a couple, uh, several weeks ago now, and Barry, of course, came and covered uh, the covenant through Abraham after the fall, and last week Josh shared with us uh, the story of redemption, or started the story of redemption, with his main point being that Jesus fulfills and delivers all the promises of God, and you can put your hope in Him. And because this is the Sunday of hope in the Advent season. I'm going to just highlight some of those things that we can have hope in. We can have hope in Jesus because he is the ultimate son of Abraham. We can have hope in Jesus because he is the promised king and son of David. We can have hope in Jesus because he's identified by the promised forerunner, John the Baptist. And we can put our hope in Jesus because he is God, the Son. And we're going to hear more about that in my message today. And finally, we can put our hope in Jesus because he's inviting each of us, each one of us, every day to be a part of what he's doing in the world. This week, we're going to look at the final act of redemption, the work of Christ, my main point is going to be this, Jesus' death and resurrection is God's planned and designed work for him. This is what Jesus was meant to do and be. This is the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not separated. It didn't just start with his birth. That's the thing I want you to hear today. It's not just with his birth. This has been started before time began, before Genesis was ever written. And it begins with the covenant of redemption. The very first covenant that takes place Within the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit determined this covenant before the creation, before the Father designs anything else, before he brings into existence the world, he designs this plan of redemption. Because you see, God knows. God knows before he even creates that we're going to fail, and that his creation is going to be broken. 
But he has a plan. He has a plan for redemption to redeem us from this fallen and broken world. And the plan is his son, Jesus, who's given this assignment by the Father to accomplish, to make and bring the redemption that he knows the world is going to need. And of course, it's the work of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' resurrection to apply that work of redemption to each and every one of us today. You see, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are delighted for this assignment. This isn't something that was looked after as being atrocious. This was something that God had planned, and the Father had given the mission, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are delighted to bring that work, to bring that plan to us. This is the gospel of God. And Paul, in Romans, we study this in Romans when we, when we just finished our study. It says, in Romans 1, Paul referred to this plan, God's plan, his covenant, the gospel of God. And when he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see, Jesus is going to be the first amongst all of us to resurrect from the dead. You see, this time of Advent is a time to celebrate not just a baby being born in a manger, but with this baby's birth, we have the incarnation, a coming in the flesh of God himself to bear humanness. God comes in human nature, and he joins his divine nature for the purpose of redemption. He knows us, but now he comes to be one of us to experience life just like we do so that he would redeem us to himself. But see, it isn't exactly, this coming isn't exactly like anyone pictured. We didn't picture it to be like it was. And some of us look at Christmas and we tout this season and, and we look at the baby Jesus and say, oh, how precious the baby Jesus is. And we miss the significance Yes, Jesus comes as a baby, but he comes emptying himself of his glory. He's in glory with the Godhead, and he chooses to vacate that and come in human form to be like us. And he gives up his glory, and he comes in all humility. In fact, in our passage today from Matthew, and that's where I'm turning 
here in a moment in Matthew 27 and 28. And again, I apologize up front. I'll be bringing other scripture into play throughout this because it's scripture that we need to know and understand that brings us the story of the Bible. We will see in Matthew 27 here in a moment just how humiliating it was for Jesus to come in the flesh. So I want you to see the work of Jesus. The number one thing is humiliation. That's the work of Jesus. We don't equate humiliation to him, but that's what he did. He humiliated himself and came to be humiliated by man. But you know, this, this humiliation was foretold by the prophets throughout Scripture. Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 4 says this, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the ground, dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look upon him. Why? Because he gave that up. He didn't even come in his flesh to be looked on in glory. He didn't look like a king. He looked like a normal person and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, what they're trying to say is he's a pretty ugly, normal guy. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as, from, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born our griefs and carried ourselves, our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten my God, and afflicted. I wonder whether they said, does he look like Mary? Does he look like Joseph? <laughs> Is that what we try to look at when we look at babies? Jesus did not come in his glory. He came in all humility, and he lived a normal life until he was called into his ministry. And then when he was called, what happened to him? From the moment he was called, he received torment. He was immediately in the desert and tormented by the Satan for 40 days. And from the moment he stepped out, people were on both sides of him. Some humiliating him and others wondering, is this really God in the flesh? But in our passage, we're going to learn that Jesus, at the end of this ministry, for three years, pouring into his disciples and pouring into the crowds and pouring into the people, he comes to the end of this humiliating life in a really humiliating way. He's accused and he's bound and he's delivered to the Romans, delivered to Pilate, the governor. You see, Jesus is going through the final, ultimate humiliation. He's falsely accused. He's no longer free. And he's about to lose his life. In Matthew 27, Matthew picks up with verse 1 and 2 with this. And when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. 
And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. That's the end of three years of ministry. He's no longer free to proclaim the kingdom of God. He's bound and turned over. What's even worse is how did he become to be bound? He freely came to Jerusalem. He freely came to the Passover. He freely came to continue to proclaim the kingdom. But he's betrayed by one of his own, Judas. Matthew says in verse 3 of 27, he says, Then when Judas, the betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he suddenly changed his mind and thought and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Because, see, he had betrayed Jesus to the elders. He said, I'll identify him in the crowd. I'll identify him by a kiss. The guy that I kiss, he's the one. And for 30 pieces of silver, that's what he did. Matthew declares that this is nothing more than a fulfillment of the prophecy from Jeremiah. It says, then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of, on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the powder's field as the Lord directed them. So Jesus, portrayed by the chief priests and elders, sent to Pilate, turned over by a friend, a trusted, close member of his disciples. And what happens? You think he, if you was you in that position, you'd be screaming out, right? Injustice, whatever. You would say false accusing. I've been betrayed. I want my day in court, right? But Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus is silent before his accusers. Matthew records in 11 through 14, he says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. This also was a fulfilling of the word of God. Out of Isaiah 53, if I turn back to the Isaiah passage, Verse 7, he says this, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Why? Because this is God's plan for Jesus to be the sacrificial lamb. There's nothing that he's going to do other than go to the cross, and he's going to go willingly and silently. Well, you think this humiliation is bad enough, right? (laughs) No, Matthew says it's even worse. The crowd chooses another over Jesus. 
The crowd who's been following him for years now. A lot of people in that crowd have been following him for years. And what do they choose? They choose another over Jesus. Matthew says, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had been then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. He led an open rebellion, armed rebellion against the Romans, actually, to turn things over. And so when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And then in verse 20, it says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release you? This bad criminal or the person that's trying to save you? (laughs) And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate finally said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? He probably didn't even understand what that meant, but he knew that they did. He knew that they knew that the Messiah was going to come at some point. And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Still doesn't end. The humiliation even gets worse. Jesus is delivered to be crucified under under Roman custom. That means that you got scourged first before you went to the cross. The Romans had the practice down so complete that they were hoping that the person would never survive the scourging so they wouldn't have to go through the trouble of putting him on the cross. That was the intent. Matthew 27, 24 through 26 says this, that when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was a beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the, an- the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released for them Barabbas, and he scor- having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And then the soldiers of the government took Jesus into the governor's quarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and they struck him on the head And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the road and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Jesus survived the scourging. But then he was put before them in a robe in humiliation and treated by spitting in his face. It's not done. Jesus is then nailed to the cross, and the mocking continues. In verse 32, we pick up, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means 
place of a skull. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders, they mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Total humiliation. Isaiah 53 said this would happen. In verse 5 and 6, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Matthew says that Jesus... And verse 45 says this, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakbaktani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yelled up, yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the century of those who were with them, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. God's plan was for Jesus to be totally humiliated for our redemption. Matthew says, continues on, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered to be given to him. 
And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. This also was foretold by Isaiah. If we go back to chapter 53, verses 8 and 9, it says, By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus died amongst thieves, and he was buried in a rich man's tomb. This was foretold long before it happened. Jesus laid aside his glory, his exaltation, and became truly human He emptied himself of all glory and reputation to become open to humanism. He came as a slave, a position that does not carry any exaltation and no dignity. In fact, most people that encountered Jesus were indignant to him. He went to a humiliating and shameful painful death on the cross, the worst possible death that anyone could be subject to at that time. In fact, I think any time since. And fortunately for us, the story doesn't end there. Jesus is exalted in the resurrection. Jesus' work, humiliation, and now exaltation. Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards tremble and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus 
is exalted in the resurrection. This too was prophesied in Isaiah 53. We'll pick that up again. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Jesus is exalted. And because of his exaltation, we who believe, can be exalted too. The work of Jesus, humiliation and exaltation, planned by God. So the question we have to ask is, how should we respond to this work of Jesus? And I'm going to look at the characters around this passage in Matthew and ask you these questions And I want you to ponder them in your heart and determine where am I in this group around the cross? Am I like the chief priests and elders, estranged from God, did not want to lose my power and saw Jesus as a threat to my system that had to be destroyed? See, they didn't see him as a savior. In fact, they saw him as an enemy. And some of us in this room may not say it loudly, but we don't see Jesus as a Savior. We often see him as a roadblock or something against getting what we want and what we desire. Is that you? Or maybe you're like Judas. You're kind of confused. You see, you're, you're a man who wanted Jesus to lead an open rebellion and thought that turning him over would encourage Jesus to finally act. But instead, it led him to being condemned to death. Yeah, Judas changed his mind. He regretted his decision. And that he, Did he really change his mind because of Jesus? No, I think Judas changed his mind because everything he had worked for came to the end. And he was so depressed by it that he actually hung himself. Maybe you know about Jesus, but you see him as your kind of go-to guy. You, You see there's a gain there. There's something that you can gain from a relationship with him. But you don't desire to surrender your life to him. You just want to use him to get what you want. Or maybe he's disappointed you by not answering your prayers according to your your desires or your plan. Are you confused? Is that you this morning? 
Maybe you're Pontius Pilate, a people pleaser. You didn't want to rock the boat. You wanted to appease the crowd and, oh, by the way, please your wife, because if you read the passage a little bit deeper, it's his wife that kind of says, hey, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. He's going to cause you problems. And so he made a choice, if you can call it a choice. He backs the chief priests and the elders and the crowd in condemning Jesus. But then he tried to act like it wasn't his decision, and he washed his hands. And So maybe you're like Pilate, just going through the motions, just to please those around you. But you really don't know Jesus, and you don't have... A relationship with him. Or maybe you're the crowd, just trying to blend in, get by. You're kind of led to follow as others, like sheep led astray. Maybe one of the people in the crowd just blindly following because it's the thing to do today. I mean, every else, everyone else is doing it, right? Is that you? Or maybe you're a Roman soldier. You're just following orders. But you're not really trying to understand or seek truth for yourself. You just, you know, you kind of know about this Jesus, but you really don't know what he was trying to do. Do you see him for who he really is? Or are you just following your orders? Or finally, maybe you are like the women in the well this morning. Your faithful servants who lost something precious and then you found it again. And you just could not keep silence. And you had to share it with the rest of the disciples. And everything you've experienced out of fear and joy and out of worship you came. Are you sharing the hope that you have in Jesus with fear and joy? Are you worshiping him for who he really is? And do you see him for what he's truly done for you? Paul says this in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question I have as we approach our response is, are you willing to humble yourself so that Christ in his timing will exalt you 
in the final resurrection. Jesus' humiliation and exaltation led to the plan that God had in death and resurrection. So what are the actions that we can take today? The first one is to believe. John chapter 6, 47, verse 47 says this, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. At 16.1 says this, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. The second action we can take is to confess. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And 1 John 1 9 says this if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.